0: This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm
1: Carl Haller. I'm a partner in IBM's retail and consumer consulting practice. Um, What I love about fashion is the unique ability that fashion has to help consumers create demand. Uh, Many products there is only the inherent demand that exists. And in the fashion category, um, you can create new demand. I, I often say that as much as people like milk, they'll never have 20 gallons of milk in the home, but there are people who love shoes, that 20 is a small number. What I love about what I do is we at IBM help connect fashion retailers, fashion brands, you know, retailers and consumer brands in general to what they do, we help them connect what they do best with what we do best, which is helping them run a modern business on modern technology.
0: From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry.
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Fashion is Your Business. Uh, I am Mark Rako, and I am staring right into the peepers of Mr. Pavan Ball, who is coming to us yet again from Marco Island in Florida. And And, wearing the same uh, clothes
0: because it's the same day, Mark. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's right. Don't tell our secrets, Pavin. Uh Yes, we do record a number of these on the same day for efficiency. And now we've just pulled the curtain, and it will never be the same. Pull the curtain back. So, no, all kidding aside, it's good to see you. You are right in the middle of a busy uh, kitchen or living room or whatever it is where you're staying. So we may hear the uh, the the lively the liveliness of that background from time the, to time. The
0: liveliness of toddlers. Yes, four exactly. four toddlers. You know, if,
2: mark If when we edited this show, we just we just put some sort of crowd noise in the background of the entire show, like we were at some live football game, it, it just would blend in. Nobody would ever really that would that would that would not be evident at all. We should do that one time. I'm tired,
0: Mark. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Fair enough. What's uh, happening, though, man? Yeah, good, uh, good to be back. Uh, good, good, yeah, you too, buddy. Uh, and also, of course, we'd love to. Welcome, Carl, to the show. Carl, we're so glad to have you there. Thanks for making time in your busy schedule.
1: Oh, thank you. It's uh, it's great to do this. And and you may get a little disruption here because occasionally my kids don't always recognize the, the, the do not disturb sign I hang on my door.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe we could start here. You know, this is fashion is your business, but obviously you operate across a, a wide range of industries and in the work that you do. When it was suggested that we might have a chance to to uh, talk with you, one of the phrases that was used in the information was how retailers have been rapidly reinventing their business operating models. A lot of the work that you do is in consideration of that. How do you think the work that you're doing right now in, frankly, the face of the the continuing pandemic and what that's meant, all you know through the through that that process and and the many months we've all endured it and the way that's impacted business and and retail and in fashion and, and outside of it, how do you think that mission may be different now than it was prior to March of last
1: year? If it is, it is definitely a different mission than it was you know, in the before times, the before times. Um, and uh, and it's something that um, all of our clients uh, and 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 as you said, we work with clients across retail. Uh, I mean, IBM works with clients of all types um, in in my area, what we call the consumer industry. We work with all types of clients, you know, consumer package goods brands, fashion companies. Um, grocery retailers, uh department stores, etc. Um, and, and agribusiness. So we cover, you know, farm to fork or farm to closet. The business this year, um, if anything, we think will be more challenging potentially than the business last year. Um we we see kind of three big things happening right now. Um we see that you know consumer preferences and spending are very much very much in flux. Um, some things have shifted, some things will shift back. Some changes are permanent, some will continue to evolve. Um, that's causing our clients to need to operationalize agility in their business operating models as much as they've spent the last 20 or 30 years, as long as I've been in this business, operationalizing efficiency. Um, so so that, that's one that's, that's a big change. The second is that um, the, the entire industry has really bifurcated into a group of companies, brands, products, stores that are viewed as essential and a group that have been not viewed as essential. Part of that lack of essential was kind of pushed down on us with uh, all the store closings that happened last year. But if you track retail sales, which I'm sure you do, you've seen that the gaps that happened in April, May last year have persisted. So there's a group of retailers that are essential, grocery stores, home improvement, drug stores, um, e-commerce, et cetera, their business has continued to trend up, thirteen to fifteen percent month over month uh, since since kind of the 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 big spike of April May, um, and the rest of retail, which is kind of you know by default non essential, has trended down ten to fifteen percent uh, month over month. So that has persisted, and one of the things you know a- as you see that happening um you can't just bank on those prior behaviors coming back so uh we we're working a lot with clients on how they find their essential and that's essential to consumers that's essential in terms of the profits that they may generate for their shareholders that's essential to their you know suppliers and business ecosystem partners and frankly for many it's essential to you know, the communities in which they serve and the planet as a whole. So that's a really big theme that's new that I don't think everyone was really thinking about. Um, and the third one, and and it and this relates to the first two, is that for most of the clients we deal with, and, you know, we're IBM, we deal mostly with large, what I'll call enterprise scale clients. Um, they're, they were efficient already. They were pretty good already. But all of their efficiency and effectiveness and all of their business operating model was tuned to win the last war, was tuned to win a war where you could look at last year's sales and you could adjust it up or down a little bit. Um, and so the 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 real big theme for this year is to scale the pivot. Everyone pivoted last year. You know, people built BOPIS or, you know, click and collect, um, People built digital, uh, um, uh, digital front of house and B2B and B2C You know, overnight. They got these things launched in days. They weren't worried about cost. You, know, you weren't worried about uh, you know, if you had the right technology in place. You, you kind of just stitched it together. You got it up and running, and everything's in beta right now. Now, as consumer behavior shifts, what they're going to have to do is operationalize that. They're going to have to get the right tech stack in place. They're gonna to have to figure out the right metrics, the right performance indicators. They're gonna to have to change the organizational structure. They're gonna to have to adjust culture. Um, uh, and they're they're gonna have to figure out the cost model such that the business works on an ongoing basis because consumers are gonna keep demanding, you know, curbside in grocery. Even if this year isn't another plus well, ten well, yeah. year I mean, for and, the grocery and also, industry.
0: Carl, uh, let's not forget, like in in let's say fashion retail, when you know when um, you know restrictions start lifting, um, you know the capacity is going to take a while to get to one hundred percent. So what you're allowed to, in terms, have your unit economics is just thrown off, and we're seeing that in the restaurant business, um, you know, ongoing, and there's a there's a huge suffering and a cry uh, from that industry, and uh, you know. Retail has a different opportunity in the sense that they're not serving food, right? Right. Uh, Folks don't need to necessarily consume right there. So you could use – you could reformat the floor space or, to your point, the parking lot to do these things like curbside and in-store, whatever it might be, uh, or buy online pickup. But there has to be a a massive shift because in how we operate, so both from a restriction standpoint but from the consumer side, I don't – I like curbside pickup. I love it. You know, I don't, right. I don't want to go back. I, I love uh, using Instacart and, and, um, you know, Postmates and whatever DoorDash. What I may not want it for To click buttons on my right. phone. Right, right. That's, and that, and that's the thing. And
1: I think the it's a, it's a great point you make. And I think, you know, we're at this, you know, embryonic stage now of what, you know, if, if last year was the, you know, the before times. We don't know what the next times are going to look like yet. And, um, absolutely, you know, I, I remember, gosh, what was it, just a year and a half ago now when the uh, the Nordstrom flagship, op- flagship opened in Manhattan. And, um, you know, as you guys both have, you know, in New York or spent plenty of time in New York, you've probably seen that lower level shoe floor with the bar. And you go there on a Saturday or Sunday and that place is just jumping. That is the place to be. And what I wonder is, you know, there are product category changes, especially in in fashion. Um, you know, none of us are wearing a collared shirt right now, you know, just as an example. I've got a whole closet full of them. I imagine you guys do too. Um, right. All du- dusty. All dusty. Dusty, right, dusty exactly. collared shirts. Um, and, and I think, so there are, you know, in, in the fashion business, we've got to deal with what are people going to actually wear, you know, as we get into these future times? Um, and if, if their wardrobes are going to change, then what does that mean for spurring just, just consumption of products? And then we have the shopping environment to deal with. And, you know, for many people going to stores and spending that time and getting that social interaction, you know, that's, yes, you're out shopping and it's a need. I'll use that with air quotes, um, but it's also fun, you know. It's also something we do. It's 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 the beauty of this industry.
0: Look, Nordstrom. You bring up Nordstrom. What they did with Nordstrom local shops uh, has been extraordinary, right? Pivoting to to meet that customer demand in in a time where you know. Uh, the, the movement of goods is kind of restricted, right? Uh, or the movement of people has been as restricted. So I love what they have done. Um, that's a particularly strong one. I want to take a quick step back because uh, the department that you're in within IBM, it's called the, um, the you know, the Center of Consumer Competency. Yeah.
1: You got to tell <laughs> me what
0: that means. Uh, so, so before before we continue any more conversation, I really need to figure out what that actually. So okay, so
1: um, there are, there are a couple things there. So consumer it relates to the industry. IBM is set up with a bunch of industry structures. Um, center of competency was one when I joined IBM. I had to ask about, I'm like, so I'm joining the center of like pretty good. I'm like, as long as there's not a center of excellence that's three doors down, I'm fine with it. Right now, we'll just keep just it competent. Competent. What, what mm-hmm. I've found um, uh, is that it's part of IBM's brand and heritage. IBM is a humble company. Um, and so rather than create centers of excellence in, in terms of our client-facing associates, we've created centers of competency. And uh, what it means in a practical sense for me and my team is most of us, uh, actually all of us now, have spent more time in, in, the, in the industry you know, working for a retailer, for a fashion company, for a packaged goods company than we have in the consulting practice. Um, and so really what it means is we're used to sitting as the client. Um, and some of what we do is help translate the really cool, innovative things on the furthest reaches of technology that IBM is developing. Um, and IBM does have some super cutting edge stuff and try to translate that into what does that actually mean, you know, to a department store, or a, uh, a fashion brand or uh, an apparel specialty store, uh, whichever, so that they understand how this works.
0: Carl, the, the, the next obvious question, Carl, is uh, describe your journey leading up to this point. I know you mentioned that you've been with IBM now for, you know, for quite some time, but... Where, where what's the background Sure
1: um yeah so I'm about uh I'll be coming up this year on 5 years at IBM um prior to that my last 12ish years um were spent at uh in the industry um I was with Tommy Hilfiger for a while um I spent a number of years at Brooks Brothers um and most recently before IBM I spent time at The Limited um and then prior to that Um, I was actually a consultant, um, you know, when I when I was first getting started. So I I was consultant,
0: industry consultant. Fantastic. Now, look, uh, IBM is a mainstay at any of these retail conferences over the last four or five years. Um, You guys put up a big, um, you know, a huge booth that is essentially like a conglomerate uh, of sorts of different technologies that are either uh, spearheaded by uh entrepreneurs or in-house um dev kind of um groups within IBM, uh all pertaining to retail. I'm wondering over the last five years, which feels now like, you know, three decades uh in, in retail transformation, uh, what have you been most excited about? I'd
1: say frankly that a lot of it's actually getting real and happening. The future uh the future doesn't have to be the future. You know, the future is happening now. We we had the first ads Gosh, it goes back, I think, to the mid '80s now, um, and it was one of those I didn't actually know about until you know after someone showed it to me. Uh, but we had you know one of the first ads of uh, what has essentially now been um, you know like the tech not the type of technology that Amazon Go has popularized, you know, a just walkout technology. Um, you know those those were things that were being developed in the lab form. Gosh, if it was mid '80s, you know that's 25 years ago. Things around blockchain. So when I joined 2016, um, one of the things my team was getting started on is identifying blockchain use cases. Um, Well, come, you know, now four and a half years later, um, IBM has built probably the largest blockchain-based traceability platform uh, with something called IBM Food Trust, which you know, started with some individual client projects, but is now uh, now an actual runtime platform that any company can sign up for to do traceability, you know, from farm all the way to shelf. Um, And we're, we're looking at replicating that for the fashion industry right now. So we've taken that, we've built the platform, and now it's just a matter of, changing the suppliers, changing, you know, the types of information that are tracked. But that that same idea can go quickly from industry to industry.
2: If you run a brick and mortar store, guess what? You have a problem. Retail storefronts can't drive immediate conversion. And you can only have so many shoppers inside safely. Any hours you're closed, you can't make sales there. And if you make product, your product packaging is static by nature. It can't be continuously updated, which limits the consumer experience. The next time your customer might interface with you is probably when they need to buy something else sometime in the future. Even more importantly, retail storefronts and product packages both lack a human connection. Are you able to tell the same stories in your own voice to your customers like you used to in the past? Social distancing, the move to commerce, or you've just grown beyond that opportunity? You need to take a look at StoryDot. Engaging the customer throughout their journey from store to website to product packaging Storydot supports a quick, contact-free, physical to digital transition, letting you tell your story to the customer and enable them to take action and motivate them to share that story on social media. No matter where that customer is, they can hear the exact story you need them to hear. And that can convert into sales and elevate their experience and turn them into your marketers when they share on social media. And key user data is generated providing more mapping of the relationship with customers. You need to see StoryDot in action and explore how StoryDot can connect the dots between you and customers. So visit www.storydot.com. That's www.storydot.com.
0: You know, we recently had um, an executive that leads the sustainability um, initiatives over at GAP alongside um, the president of the U.S. Cotton uh, Trust. I might be saying that name wrong. And, uh, you know, we talked through traceability and, of course, sustainability being a huge – you would know more about the consumer sentiment. Uh, but uh you know we 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 of course cover it quite a bit is that it's a big part of the purchasing decision and it's also a big part of our global responsibility, especially as regulation will follow uh soon uh, i would assume the problem is uh, that we gather from whether it's conversations with the gap or h and m or any of these large um you know let's let's call it affordable fashion or fast fashion uh companies is that the amount of um mid tier manufacturers and then tiny manufacturers and then um you know the contract manufacturers that are then um you know brought into the mix you, you have a matrix of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that are touching uh different components of their supply chain uh can can blockchain can blockchain identify all of those spider webs entirely so i mean so what i'll say is blockchain
1: alone can't um because blockchain is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a ledger. It's, it's essentially a, it's a big database in the sky, kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that, that multiple people can touch and it creates records and, you know, all the stuff about blockchain. But what, what needs to happen? Um, a a number of things. One, you've got to make it easy for everyone. So when we first got into this on the food side, you've, we found the same problems, you know, the, it's, it, all of this stuff, whether it's, whether it's um, cotton or wool, um, you know, or broccoli, you know, it comes from a farm. So we're dealing with similar stages. And one of our early projects was um, with uh, Walmart tracing mangoes that ended up in a, you know, cut, peeled and in a clamshell um, in their store. The steps that that goes through or the, or we've done similar work um, for a very large um, hamburger chain and their suppliers. The work that you know goes from a cow to being, you know, a beef patty that's served in a restaurant. It's it's the same it's the same type of complexity. It's just different things are happening, but it's the same type of complexity, and. So, the thing you have to do is you have to uh work a lot on onboarding um and you have to work a lot on enablement of the of the people that don't have large systems to do the onboarding, and you also have to figure out a way to answer the with them for them. you know you have to give them value out of this, and you can't just you know strong arm them into participating you have to actually spend time understand their business and then learn, and then once you learn enough about their business and every business has pain points you can figure out a way to help solve those pain points such that they want to come on board um because because you know they don't work for you you, you know you don't you, if you, it's not like just saying to a junior level employee hey go do this and they'll do it because they work for you you've actually got to win them over with the idea itself, and somehow appeal to them by being part of you know maybe it's they want to be part of a bigger uh, um, you know a bigger thing, maybe it's directly tied to financial uh, benefit for them um, or maybe it's it's around sustainability um, whatever that appeal is you you can find what those appeals are, and then you build out the value proposition to all of the participants.
2: I, I, the thing I was sort of interested is, is as you know, you start to maneuver blockchain into different industries, like you were talking about, starting to you know introducing to the fashion industry in, in this way. There's
1: um, there's a lot of data you're going to gather to execute yeah. that. To me, the the sweet spot and why companies will adopt this is because it's 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 a win for the customer you know it's a win for their business because they're going to they're going to overproduce less um and they're going to shorten their cycle time and you know time to market and it's a win for the the community and the planet you know and that's
2: but i would think it would also be a a win for IBM not just because of the blockchain existing and and and, and a, you know something that you can offer but what are you going to learn about an entire industry at every touch point and then be able to not just do something with that data, but learn about the heartbeat of an industry from the inside out by mapping it in a way that's required for blockchain. That just seems, aside from being a, a completely gargantuan undertaking, it, it also allows you to understand an industry in a way that probably few do um, in, in in that expansive way. How, how can IBM actually, or any company actually undertake such a massive undertaking to touch all of those sourcing and uh supply chain and uh you know every aspect of an industry essentially to have a proper to, to have a blockchain that really functions
1: truthfully i mean it's with any um it's with any complex Um, multi-participant challenge, Um, you have to do it one step at a time. Um, And and so in some of the pilots that we've done, anywhere where we're dealing with, you know, multiple parties across an industry vertical, um, what you do is you don't touch all 12 stages in the process. You touch, you know, the four stages that um, you, you need to solve the particular challenge you're trying to solve first. you know, So you narrow down the challenge to focusing only on one thing or only on a, a small handful of things, and you get something up and running that's working that then you can hang more on. Um, when it comes to the idea of the, just traceability itself, I actually look at the traceability tool as um as a Trojan horse. That enables the, the the traceability tools that we have built, they don't just enable, they don't it's not about enabling IBM to learn more about it. That we'll get some benefit from that certainly. But it's really about enabling our clients to learn more about their their supply chains. You um, know our clients, most companies in general, don't have a good view more than, you know, two steps removed from the business that they do. So they usually they all know who they buy from, and many of them know who those people buy from, and from there you're just relying on reporting every other step. You're relying on, you know, your supplier to report about their suppliers to report on their suppliers. Um everyone builds slack into the process um you don't always know if the reporting is you know perfect or not and you know to be able to have that transparency allows them to make different decisions at different times um and and I actually look at it as a especially in fashion which is such a uh an extended supply chain frankly for such a simple product um the the ability to shift decisions rightward, you know, to shift decisions later in the in the calendar. So that, you know, when you make the buy, um, maybe you don't have to allocate all of those goods, you know, at at store pack level. So you need to know specific style, size, color combinations, um, you know, and ship those out, which some brands do. You know, some brands are full cross-dock. Nothing ever, you know, gets unpacked and repacked and sent out. And so at the time they're placing the buys, you know, they kind of have to subdivide it. Well, that could be six months ahead of time. That could be four months ahead of time. Um, that's why do they need to make that fine of a decision, especially in an environment that's so dynamic? Um, you, you could make that decision, you know, when goods are on the water, you can make them when they're clearing customs. You know, you can shift rightward a lot of those decisions and then you don't have the waste of sending goods to the wrong place that then you have to mark down or then you have to reship somewhere else. It's it's this intersection of the business benefit and the um, sustainability benefit to do what the customer frankly expects you're doing in the first place.
0: Yeah. You know, Carl, what, I, what I'm hearing on the traceability side if, to get pure transparency is, is of course, almost nearly impossible um, based on all the kind of slippages or or areas of of, um, shortage of information, let's say. Um, You know, for a large company, and of course IBM um, handling enterprise level clients, are you consulting them through like this, like a transition of a a total breakdown of their current uh, process and then rebuilding it to, you know, a a chain that they can see everything from the ground up or have you seen that happening? And, and if so, how do those, you know, the old model and the new model congruently live so one can slowly replace the other?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Cause the, 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 um, there's always a challenge when you're going, when you have a from and a to, um, of, of how you get there. It's easy to draw the two boxes, but that path in the middle is always quite complex. Um, and you often have multiple like interim states. So one, yes, we're doing that. Um, you know, I, IBM over the over the past year has really shifted in two directions. You know, one is uh, what we'll call open hybrid cloud. And I won't touch on that for right now, but the other is around AI and intelligent workflows. Um, and how we actually change the process of say you know i designing garments and getting them to market um it's a you know you guys know the process very well i'm sure it's you know it's a long process it's anywhere you know out, outside of a couple of truly fast fashion people you know it's anywhere from 8 to 13 months still um and the the ability to use you know different tools um and new capabilities at every stage, from design into product development, into fabrications, into manufacturing, um, the whole uh, uh, you know assortment line creation and the merchandise planning and assortment planning activities, um, in through you know how those goods are you know brought into brought into a given. Um, I'll say for the u s you know, brought into the country because most of those goods come from overseas and how they how quickly they can clear customs. Um, what we've done is we're working you know at most of those stages um, to try to make improvements in how those workflows happen, and then the vision is that you can you know take a solution that we've built around customs clearance. And then you can bolt that onto the solution we've built around traceability, you know. And then you can bolt that on to maybe a solution that I don't know we've built or someone else has built about three D CAD um, and you know CAD design, and not having to fly samples back and forth, but doing it all on um, you know either in virtual reality or uh, doing it in augmented reality somehow, so that you can work in a more effective manner um you can work in a manner that shortens timelines that increases you know the 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 likelihood of sell through and increases margins reduces uh markdowns you know it's it's the the thing that this industry's been trying to solve forever which is the right product at the right place at the right price at the right time for the right customer um but how how we can completely you know at the end you completely reinvent it but i think you have to start in steps so that you can reinvent pieces of it and with a vision of how it can all come together. What, what's
2: brought us together uh, for this conversation, what sort of sparked it, is is IBM has a couple of, of new collaborations that are very significant and speak to some focuses uh, and, and has resulted in some very substantial announcements over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, can, can you uh, touch on what's, what are the big messages you've been pounding through that bullhorn? Sure.
1: <laughs> our big, our big IBM bullhorn that all of us are issued. Big
2: IBM yeah. bullhorn. The B stands for bullhorn. No it doesn't So, um,
1: okay. The uh, yeah, so there there are two things that uh, uh, that we've announced very recently that are quite relevant to what we were talking about. So we were talking about you know the need for agility, and we were talking about open hybrid cloud, and we were talking about intelligent workflows. And these are a couple of great examples of it. So one uh, is with Fung Group, um, which many people in the apparel industry will know of around Li and Fung. Um, it's a you know it, it's a much broader and larger company than that. You know they're a you know they're a pioneer, I would say, in the fashion and consumer goods supply chain. And one of the things that they've realized is they have just as great of a need for agility now um as they have for efficiency and so what they have uh what what we've worked with them it's a you know multi-year um engagement around um transforming you know all of their IT stack toward a more flexible scalable um secure and uh people centric set of tools and capabilities that allows their workforce, and you know, they have a distributed workforce all over the world, um, and they have partners also all over the world, to transition that entire tech stack so that they can get you know, the right tools and the right capabilities in the hands of their workers um, to run their business in a more agile manner um, than they were able to do with some of the existing tools that they had before. Um, you know.
0: Now, out of, out of curiosity, Carl, are you working at all? Um, and if so, how closely with uh, the Coresight team? So Coresight Research and Deborah Weinswig's a close friend of the show. Um, and of course, they uh, are a property now of Fung Group as well.
1: So they were a property of Fung Group. Um, uh, they were, you know, was it FGRT, FRGT, you know, uh, Fung Global Retail Technology. Um uh I didn't actually know at once they became CoreSite that they were still uh a holding of Fung Group, um, but we consider them a partner. And uh actually I was just emailing with uh one of their colleagues this uh earlier this week about some research that we would like to work on jointly with them in terms of um, you know, how fulfillment lessons we can learn from China. In terms of how uh, what I'll call multimodal fulfillment is happening post COVID, you know all the types of you know buy online, pick up in store, get it delivered to my home, you know all all of those types of things, because China is one of the markets in the world that's bounced back, and we think there are a lot of lessons to be learned, you know in in fashion, in convenience stores, in grocery, etc. So we would consider they're they're definitely a partner of ours. Um, I their research is on my uh, on my you know every week read list, but the, uh, uh, the part, the partnership that, um, uh, that we have with the fund group is, uh, you know, it's in, it's in their core business, you know, related to their core business, um, around, uh, uh, sourcing and supply chain. Um, another one, and this speaks more. So that one speaks more toward, you know, open hybrid cloud and, you know, modern technology. Um, the, the other announcement that we made recently is with, you know, a much smaller company uh, called Covalent Fashion. And this relates back to um, intelligent workflows, the discussion we were having earlier about blockchain um, and sustainability. So Covalent is a startup. Um, they make men's and women's accessories and small leather goods um, and eyewear. And their whole perspective is on uh, carbon neutral, you know, uh, no carbon footprint. And they wanted a way to validate that to their consumers. And so they turned to IBM um, to use our blockchain technology um, to help them validate the zero carbon footprint of the products that they create. And so we're, we're essentially becoming you know, the technology that um, allows them, enables them to live up to a brand promise that they've made
0: and now, now th- this partnership i mean this goes against i guess what your typical ibm profile of a client would be right i mean just from enterprise to t- start talking about startups um is is a huge departure from uh, what the norm is is there is there an investment on the back end of ibm is is there some sort of like is this a true partnership in in terms of uh, are you working at, uh, on this together as a joint unit um and if so, what's the intent behind that? Um, does IBM are you looking to now uh, gain a footprint or a foothold in saying, okay, well, if you're a tech-enabled new brand, uh, you know IBM is there for you as well.
1: So we we definitely are, um, and in the fashion space in particular, we try to um, you know develop, cultivate, manage, and maintain relationships with um, the startup community. Um, And also with uh, leading fashion universities um, who are also tapped into that startup community. So whether it's um, uh, London College of Fashion and part of the University of the Arts London or FIT in the States, um, uh, two uh, leading fashion schools in France and one in uh, Italy, you know, we actually have people who um, in, you know, in our fashion community. Um, who are actively engaged in different discussions working with those schools um, and working with then some startups um, to try to advance capabilities um, to to you know really try to create the future of fashion whether it's from a technology perspective or new ways of working sometimes it's new business models sometimes it's related to sustainability um, but we in the fashion space, and I would say IBM overall, is heavily invested in um, creating kind of the leaders of tomorrow. And we have a very large educational program uh, that that where we work with schools all around all around the world.
0: Yeah, but but by fostering these relationships, what's the overall thesis here? Um, and I'm sure it's not as clear cut, but. Uh, or one thing or the other, but is it in uh, developing or f- using this as a way to develop innovations um, and and test rapidly? Yeah. Or is this saying you're investing in the future so that you could be part of that success of the client itself or the community? It's, it's a bit uh, of both.
1: Um, you know, again, so part uh, part of it is. Sometimes the smaller companies are more nimble than the bigger companies and are moving a little bit of a, a little bit ahead. Um, and so sometimes we find a small company is a willing partner to find a more bleeding edge use case. Um, so, so sometimes for us, it's it's finding who that right partner is to pilot test a use case and build an MVP and get it up and running. It's going to be easier for a covalent to operationalize something than for caring potentially to do it. I'll try to use the, you know, the smallest and one of the largest in the fashion space. Um, There there are fewer layers to go through. And so, you know, so we find we can then get something up and running. And then um, the fact that we're doing something with a smaller shop and it's up and working and it's production, you know, productionalized. Um, that all of a sudden will get some of those larger players interested because they don't always have the time um, or the willingness, you know, to do. um, Sometimes they're frankly science projects for them because because it doesn't work in the way their business operating model is constructed. So it's a, you know, it's a small side project. They need to do big things that they can do at scale. And many of them want, you know, commercially ready, commercially ready tools and software, you know, to do those things with. And sometimes those tools get built working with smaller companies.
0: Thanks. I appreciate that answer. That's good. It's
1: the only one I have. Beautiful. (laughs) All right. Well, uh,
2: seems like the most appropriate time to uh, pivot yet again from... Big giant business things to looking at Carl as a human being with some personal questions and a round of off the grid questions. Right up to this. Culture starts at the top, and great customer experience. The only competitive strategy in today's world is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, customer experience from the top is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found.
1: Now it's time for questions off the grid. With fashion is your business.
2: All right, Carl. This is the part of the show, one of our very favorites, where we get to know you as a human being uh, through our uh, off the grid questions, where we get a little more personal in nature, a little off the grid. Uh, Pubin and I uh, will will always be jockeying to ask the first question, uh, so we spin a prize wheel, of sorts our wheel of grid destiny, to figure out who it lands on to ask the first question and the second one as well. So I'm going to spin that wheel. And the first question comes from me. Uh, So uh, Carl, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to base it based on my senses here. Uh, The data I have, we've been talking about data and blockchain. also the data I've gathered is that because there is a two bookshelves in the background, That you are someone who appreciates the value of a book. And so what I'd like to know is, uh, what is the first book you remember, even as a child it could be, but what's the first book you remember that you read, whether from an entertainment standpoint or from a business standpoint, that let's call it shook your world,
1: changed the way you thought about something? Um, the first, I'll go back just to, you know, since we're in a business setting, I'll use the first business book that I would say I devoured was one of the early Tom Peters books. I don't remember, frankly, whether it was In Search of Excellence or the second book, but when when that series came out, it was a, you know, a very formative stage for me, you know, and I remember that was one of the first books that I dog-eared and wrote notes you know, on probably a third of the pages.
2: That's. Are you reading a book now that's catching your attention, whether it' physical book or audio book? Um,
1: there are always a bunch of them that that I'm a a third of the way through, um, which is what <laughs> what happens with me. There's one that um, I was just looking at last night that I I pulled out to uh, to restart and this is uh, i'm going to mention it one because we're talking about fashion and two because this never gets enough play and it's a book called women in clothes it's a book almost no one's ever heard of um and it is a it's like a very you know it's a it's a good narrative that is you know the best qualitative study Of what fashion means and what clothing means to women, um, that I've ever read, and probably one of the weaknesses I have um, working in the fashion industry most of my career is being a guy. I don't have this. I don't have the same understanding about clothes that many women do. Um, Just we're, we're different genders and we have different perspectives that we've you know had since birth. And reading this has helped me you know, better understand, you know, frankly, the consumers who I used to serve when I was in the industry and now who my clients serve.
2: Very cool. Thank you very much, Carl. Uh, That was great. Uh, I love those, those two perspectives. Uh, All right. Another spin of the wheel, because that's what we do.
0: And uh, it has landed surprisingly, shockingly on PubMed. Carl, keeping on the theme of innovation, I'm wondering, um, you know, going back to early childhood, uh, what would be the first product, device, whatever it may be, that you looked at and you said, "Oh, that is innovative," or "That is innovation." Um, gosh, this goes back a ways, and and mostly it's just going
1: to make people realize that I'm old. Um, we in when when I was a kid, um, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and that was an, a test market for what at that time was Time Warner Cable. And we had one of the first um you know uh cable boxes and it it was gigantic. It probably weighed you know two pounds. It was with a wire on it with a remote and you had 30 channels. Um this would have been and this was this was probably in the you know late 70s timeframe. Um you know back when we were turning channels with a knob um and there was a semi-pro team semi-pro football team in columbus at that time and they did an interactive experience where you could by pressing these funky buttons on this weird big remote you could actually uh call plays that the team would run in and and i was and that was like wow that was you know that was Super groundbreaking at that time, you know, it was, you know, stuff we do now. Well, talk, talk about, talk about choose yeah, your own it adventure. Was, it was choose your own adventure. And then this semi-pro team would go run the play and you'd realize, well, this is why I'm not a football coach. Um, but like, you know, collectively, however many hundreds or thousands of homes were doing this, you know, we were doing, we were doing stuff and you got this view of the future, you know, at, at, for me, a very, a very young age of like the types of stuff that was really possible. Uh, that's really cool. Thank you. It's a great question, by the way. Uh, well,
2: that's, why we, that's why the, the wheel chose Pavan for second, so that we could finish with that. So, uh, great. Well, uh, Carl, any, uh, any uh, brief last parting words to sort of sum up the message that you're trying to put out there?
1: IBM is a, uh, um, an established company. We've gone through, I don't know, two dozen business cycles. Um, And one of the things that I've been impressed by with IBM is that, you know, going back over a hundred years, you know, and and I think I said this earlier, we've helped companies, you know, run a modern business on modern technology. And what modern means changes, what business means changes and what technology means changes. But that's been our that's essentially been our mission for over a hundred years. And it remains our mission today. Um, and it's a very it's a very exciting time to be working at the intersection of you know consumers' fashion and technology uh, and i'm really looking forward to what the next you know twelve to eighteen months brings
2: terrific uh, and how can people connect with you directly or with you know, with the work that you're doing at IBM?
1: Sure. If anyone wants to connect with me directly, they can connect with me on my LinkedIn page. Um, And if anyone wants to connect uh, into the work that IBM does, um, there's ibm.com is the starting page. I find a lot of people go to our Institute for Business Value um, uh, thought leadership uh, uh, site. And that's where a lot of the groundbreaking research that IBM does and some of the very interesting client case studies get shared out. So the easiest way to do that is to search for IBM IBV, and it takes you right to the site.
2: Super. And on LinkedIn, just for everybody knows, it's Carl with a K, K K-A-R-L, last name H-A-L-L-E-R. So uh, awesome. Well, uh, Carl, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fashion Is Your Business. It was so nice to meet you. And and, and great to get your insights and, and learn about some of the priorities that IBM has, uh, you know, helping businesses grow and take the next step. And and obviously, it's really exciting to see the the fashion industry on the precipice of, you know, this this kind of opportunity. So uh, thank you very much oh,
1: for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was great to be here.
2: All right. That's it for this episode. Fashion is your business. We're very happy you were along for the ride. And, of course, we'll see you again next week, as always. But uh, until then, for Puff and Ball. Shake it easy, folks. I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
0: This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found.